it's monday and that so happens to be the day that i like to talk about monsters hello and welcome to monster mondays i am jeff arbuckle co-host of the weekly podcast film seizure that you can catch on wednesdays at filmseizure.com or at a number of podcast providers online some 200 or so episodes ago i covered one of the all-time greatest and most famous horror movies ever made 1931's dracula this week for episode number 208 I'm going to talk about it again, but with a twist. Hollywood had become rather dependent upon the exportation of their films in the 20s, and that was exceptionally easy in the days of silent films, but as the decade drew to a close, so did that era of film. By the dawn of the 30s, it was widely accepted that Mexico was an easy place to export movies, And it was very easy for Hollywood studios to spend the millions of dollars to duplicate productions of their films to send across the border. In early 1930, Universal hired Paul Koner to produce Spanish versions of each film Universal planned to export to Mexico. On October 1st, 1930, it was announced that Koner would produce Dracula for Spanish markets with George Melford, a huge name at the time, directing. And that's what we're going to talk about today, 1931 Spanish version of Dracula. Carl Lamley Jr. was uh, the actual credited producer on the film, but the hands-on guy checking in on the production was the 27-year-old Koner, who would cast his future wife, Lupita Tovar, as the lead in the film opposite Carlos Villarius as Dracula. Uh, The film used pretty much the same script, except obviously in Spanish, the same sets, and mostly the same costumes with a few minor differences that ultimately play quite differently. And that I'll talk about a little bit later on. But for the most part, the concept of these Spanish versions are kind of a forgotten part of film history. I'm not sure many other countries ever did this, but what I do know was that the resurrection of this film's uh, known existence came about in the 90s. During that decade, the Universal Classic Monsters got a big hype boost when, after years of appearing on horror host programs late at night and having the characters feature in commercials and basically just generally exist in the pop culture zeitgeist for, well, perpetuity, Universal was making a big push to get all their classic horror films on VHS in neat matching boxes with new art adorning the covers and everything. The first round of these releases were the ones that we all know the best. Dracula, Frankenstein, The Mummy, The Bride of Frankenstein, The Wolfman, The Invisible Man, Creature from the Black Lagoon, Son of Dracula, and the 40s version of The Phantom of the Opera. But by the late 90s, they blew that out big time, and soon there were a ton more being released. Somewhere around maybe, I don't know, 1997 or so, this curiosity of the Spanish version of Dracula was included in one of the runs of of releases that they were putting out. Those not really in the know were kind of shocked to find out that this almost identical movie of the one that we all knew and loved for basically all of our lives beforehand actually existed. We were also shocked to find out upon watching it that not only is it very similar, but in many ways very different too. And then also better in some ways as well. For all the things that were similar though, including the script, the movie is actually nearly 30 minutes longer than its English counterpart. 
Now, real quick, before we go into the happenings of this movie, which if you've seen Dracula, you probably can already know. Um, I do want to talk about our leading lady, Lapita Tovar. First of all, she would go on to marry Paul Koner about a year after this movie came out. After it was deemed that Tovar's poor English at the time uh, was probably going to get in the way of her being cast in English-speaking films, it was suggested that she go into the studio's foreign department. And Koner, having convinced Carl Lamley Sr. to produce Spanish versions of Universal's films would come along right at the right time for Tovar. Uh, she was used as a voice actress dubbing films into Spanish that were produced like, um, you know, like some other movies that were being sent over that weren't being produced like this one was. However, she would go on to star in the Spanish version of The Cat and the Canary and, of course, Dracula. In 1932, Tovar would be notable for starring in the first ever Mexican sound narrative film that was not a remake of an American movie, and that movie was called Santa. Uh, it's about a girl named Santa who uh, is seduced and abandoned by a soldier and eventually rejected by her own family, and so she ends up living in a brothel and is cared for by a blind piano player who basically redeems her, um, and particularly her image, by taking her to church, and so forth. It's a fairly well-regarded film. Lupita Tovar would live until 2012 when she died at the age of 106, having lived a pretty full life and had been married for 56 years to Koner, who had passed away in 1988. Her grandsons, Paul Weitz and Chris Weitz, are notable screenwriters having both been nominated for adapting the book about a boy into a very charming Hugh Grant comedy. The pair also directed and produced the first American Pie movie in 1999. Chris White would uh, also be one of the two screenwriters for the Star Wars film Rogue One. All right. So, this movie starts pretty much the same way as we all know and love. Renfield, this time played by Pablo Alvarez Rubio, who is absolutely bonkers in this movie, is traveling into the Carpathian Mountains where he will eventually meet Count Dracula and basically sell uh, Dracula the property of Carfax Abbey. However, the locals are very frightened of the Count and quite a superstitious group, too. He's eventually able to convince the village coachman to take him to the Borgo Pass where he will meet Dracula's driver. Then Renfield visits with Count Dracula and that night before bed he collapses and is approached by Dracula's beautiful brides. We next see him in uh, Dracula's crates of home soil on a ship headed for London. The crew of the ship are attacked and killed and when it eventually docks, the only person found on the ship is a cackling, insane Renfield. In London, Dracula introduces himself to Dr. Seward, whose sanitarium is right next door to Carfax Abbey, which also happens to be where Renfield is taken to. Um, and he immediately takes an interest in two women, Lucia Weston and the doctor's daughter, Ava, who is also in love with a man named Juan Harker. It's because of her love for Juan that makes Eva much less interested in the Count. Uh, but Lucia is kind of taken by some of his stories of his homeland. 
That night, Lucia goes to bed and Dracula preys upon her. A few short days later, Lucia dies similarly to others around town who have been found, um, all of them having the same bite marks on their neck. Puzzled by the deaths and with the weird similarities, Professor Van Helsing is called in to review blood samples from the victims, and he immediately places the blame for these deaths on vampires. The bite marks are the same, and the raving lunatic Renfield is, oddly enough, obsessed with eating other animals to survive, almost a vampiric attitude. And speaking of Renfield, Van Helsing knows that sometimes he slips away from his room and can't be found for hours. Where does he go? What trouble is he getting into? So Van Helsing decides to meet with Renfield and questions him about his past, but Renfield begins to act bizarrely when he spots a fly in the room. He captures it and is about to eat it when he notices Van Helsing's reaction to the act that he's putting on. Meanwhile, Juan has noticed a different attitude in his love. Uh, she says that whenever night falls, she begins to feel unusually scared, as if something is tightening around her. Eva tells him that uh, how she goes to sleep and her room fills up with mist and a scary pale face comes through that mist and approaches her. The next day, she feels weak as if all the life was drained from her. This began shortly after Lucia was buried while her, and then her father went off to Switzerland on business. And it's kind of a good thing that Van Helsing overheard this because he knows what to ask Eva and what to look for. Eva is suspiciously wearing a scarf around her neck to hide her very own bite marks. Dracula happens to come in and interrupt Van Helsing's questioning of her. And uh, she does seem pretty happy to see Dracula, even if the men aren't so pleased that he kind of barged in. But as he says his goodbyes to Eva, uh, Van Helsing sees that uh, Dracula casts no reflection in a mirror. And he shows this discovery to Dracula, who realizes that maybe Van Helsing is not to be trifled with. But after Dracula leaves, the professor tells Seward and Harker that Dracula is their vampire. While he explains it to the men, Dracula has called Eva to him, and while Dracula is with Eva, Van Helsing tries desperately to have Renfield tell him the name of the one that this crazy man is calling Master. He's about to finally give up the name when he begs Dracula for mercy, and Eva is found near death in the courtyard, and Van Helsing tells Dr. Seward that she's at great risk now. She is under Dracula's control, and they must uh, do something about Dracula now to end all this bad stuff that's going on. But what's more is that Lucia has been seen again. She's been offering candy to children and then makes off with them so that she can feed upon them. Van Helsing needs to deal with two vampires now, and Eva tells Juan that he can never again kiss her because she fears of what she's being turned into like a monster not unlike Lucia has been kind of deemed as such. When he doesn't catch her drift, she tells him that their relationship is over. She loves him, but she can't resist Dracula, and he, you know, wants Juan to basically beat Cheeks and get out of there. Despite Van Helsing's best efforts to keep Eva safe, Dracula is able to get to her and she has fed from his blood now. Dracula then goes to Van Helsing and tells him that she should probably go ahead and head back home. It's too late to save the people that he's come here to protect. 
Harker sees a completely rejuvenated Eva, and they go outside to talk while Dracula attempts to kill Van Helsing, but the professor outsmarts him and wards off the vampire with a cross. As a bat, Dracula flies around where Juan and Eva are talking, and she starts to act strangely, and she starts to stare at him hungrily and attempts to bite him on the neck. Thankfully, Van Helsing is still there with his crucifix. As Van Helsing and Harker kill the vampire Lucia, Dracula gets inside Eva's room and brings her to Carfax Abbey. Uh, as it so happens, that's where Harker wants to go next, and Renfield's uh, bad luck also has him arriving just before our heroes, making Dracula believe that his faithful servant brought Van Helsing and Harker to where his sleeping place is. He ends up killing Renfield, which probably gives Harker and Van Helsing enough time to get inside to uh, prevent Dracula from basically killing Eva and turning her into a vampire. And with the sun coming up very quickly, Dracula has to leave Eva behind to get in his coffin. Harker goes searching for Eva while Van Helsing stakes the count, killing the bad guy and freeing Eva from his control. Juan and Eva go off to live happily ever after, while Van Helsing uh, makes good on a promise he made to Renfield and prays over his body to hopefully salvage his soul. Now it's time to talk about three things that I like about the Spanish version of 1931's Dracula. First up, I'm simply amazed how relatively similar this movie is to the Hollywood film The English Dialogue version. Um, there are some shots that are, you know, and, and some of the angles that are set up or how some of the actors um, kind of emote compared to the original that are just spot on. Um, this was shot at night after the English production crew was finished for the day. It doesn't really feel like that at all. It's almost like they did a take with the English speaking cast, then shuffled in the Spanish speaking cast and then did the shot the exact same way and then kept trading off until both films were completed. Now, there are some more ambitious crane shots that are a little bit more artistic than how Todd Browning shot his version. That said, some of the shots do match relatively closely. Uh, some of the close-ups match. Uh, it's almost, um, it's, it's a pretty close copy in many scenes, or at least it, sometimes it feels incredibly easy to see the Browning version of actors in the shots that we see in the Spanish version. However, there are some notable differences, though, and that brings me to my second like. Um, that is one of those differences in the movie, and that's Carlos Valerius as Dracula. Okay, look, no one can top Bela Lugosi's performance as the vampire. Sorry, not even Christopher Lee can do that. So, it will never be said by my own mouth that Valerius is a better Dracula, but what he is, is different. While Lugosi has the hypnotic eyes and the almost supernatural cadence to his speech, Valerius almost comes off more dangerous or animalistic. Uh, his expressions show a much more evil presence than Lugosi. One thing I'd say in comparing the Draculas is that Valerius is more akin to Christopher Lee's Dracula. He's more of the upper class kind of host to Renfield like Lee's Dracula was in the first of the Hammer films when Harker came to him. You're kind of sucked in by Lugosi, but uh, you're almost repelled by the Valerius version. Um, 
it changes the story ever so slightly. He's more of a clear and present danger to those around him. Thirdly, there's a small cultural difference that makes a huge difference to the movie itself. In the English version, Helen Chandler is a pretty woman, yes. However, she's extremely proper playing Mina. She's very buttoned down and has this very genteel attitude and presentation about her. Her dresses and nightgowns almost come off as the, uh, on the screen like weighted blankets. It's hard to even see considering how covered up she seems to be throughout this movie, how Dracula could even get to her neck with all the fabric she's draped with. But Lupita Tovar is about 10 times more feminine and kind of seductive in that way. She often wears dresses that, while not always showing cleavage, shows much more of her chest under her collarbone. Uh, She often wears lace at the top of her dresses. Um, I'm fairly certain that the last nightgown that she wore is mostly see-through in the top part. Um, That's also during the scene in which she's reinvigorated by Dracula's blood, and she's acting particularly flirtatious with this almost girlish charm and seductive attitude about her. She's far more alive than what Chandler was as Mina in the English version. And I'm sure that's not a slight on Chandler as a person, but it's a huge difference on a cultural level. When Lucia was first attacked by Dracula, she beds down in a far more sultry black nightgown. That is, I mean, the only time that I think I've ever seen anything like what she was wearing in any universal classic horror film. They're letting the material, which Dracula always was a bit sensual in context, kind of surface a little bit more. The English language version seemingly suffocated that sensuality under multiple layers of cultural modesty. But Lupita Tovar is definitely giving you lots of good things to look at during this movie and really kind of bringing that sex appeal to the front uh, in this story as opposed to, um, like I said, really kind of suffocating it under modesty. Now, one final thought before I bring this episode in for a landing. Now, generally... What's the quality of the Spanish version of Dracula? It's impossible to not compare it to the English language version. Hell, my three likes definitely compare and contrasted the versions all the way through them. This movie is longer, yes. However, that's due to pacing. There are some scenes that do feel like there is a little bit more dialogue included. Um, Some of that could have always existed in the script and the English version cut it for time. However, the pacing makes this feel much more like a fully realized story. The original Dracula is extremely fast paced and it feels almost like the story is is over almost as quickly as it really starts to get going once Dracula gets into London. Uh, Some of the um, cinematography and the usage of the sets are slightly different and a little bit more ambitious, but if it was possible to have Bela Lugosi in this Spanish version, it would be a near-perfect film that honestly could never be outdone by any remake or retelling of this story. Um, So it's both movies have their pros and cons, um, and both movies are very well made um i would still give the slight advantage to the original uh english version dracula but i don't blame anybody who calls this 
their favorite version at all. I can completely and totally understand that. So that wraps up this week's Monster Mondays. You can catch new episodes of Monster Mondays each Monday afternoon at filmseizure.com. You can also uh, catch new episodes of Film Seizure every Wednesday at filmseizure.com. But don't forget to follow Film Seizure at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to Film Seizure to get both the Film Seizure podcast and Monster Mondays at your favorite podcast providers as well as YouTube. It's an excellent way to know when new episodes are released. You can also check out my website, bmovieenema.com, to read new articles every Friday morning. Well, I guess that's not just a wrap on this episode, but it's a wrap for 2022. I hope you have had a great and happy and safe holidays. I hope your new year coming up here is going to be a good one for you. And when we return on January 2nd, it's time for us to revisit Ultra Q with episodes number three and four. Until next week, stay spooky.